Sunday. Uh, this is probably the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. One thing you know about the Sermon on the Mount, it was more than just, it, it, it had to be more than one day. Most likely the Sermon on the Mount was a series of sermons taught, preached over, a, over consecutive days. You have to know that about this particular message. So if many people suggest that this is probably the greatest sermon that Jesus ever taught, I think it would behoove you and I to find out really what he had to say to people like you and I, all right? So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated with the disciples, or when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth, and he taught them. What did he do? He taught them. What did he do? He taught them, right? And here's what he said. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pick it up, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to continue this morning uh, how your attitude should be during days of difficulty. How your attitude should be during days of difficulty. Last week we had chapter or part one. Today we'll have part two. How your attitude should be during days uh, uh, of difficulty. You all would agree. I don't think I need a vote on this one. You all would agree that these are very difficult days we're living in. Am I right about that? Wouldn't you all agree that these are very difficult days? I won't go through all of the notes from last week, but somewhere between the, the height of civil unrest, the height of racism, uh, uh, from whatever extreme you want to call it, to the pandemic and the onward spikes throughout our country of COVID-19, I think we all would agree that these are difficult days. Unemployment, you know the stats. Uh, 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 businesses that are closing, corporations that are scaling back, all of the financial loss in this quarter, these are difficult days. Say nothing for the sicknesses, the infirmities, and the struggle we have all experienced with family members, loved ones, and close friends. Uh, those who have lost their lives, unfortunately, these have been very difficult days. Um, not only are these difficult days, <clears throat> but these are unprecedented days. These are most historic days that many of us, in fact, all of us, have not seen uh, before. Uh, I said last Sunday something very interesting. The, the unavoidable truth of where we're at is if there is a clash, if there is a collision between the, the, the pandemic of sicknesses and all of the things, particularly in the African-American, we experience with what we see, the imagery of injustices, the imagery of inequalities, it could, it could really swell and it could really come to a counter peg of explosion. So to the point, so to the point, so many experts, scholars, people, who feel that this does not fare well for the mental health of African-Americans. Last week, I gave you two opposing articles as it related to the mental health aspect of African-Americans. One article talked about the various stressors, things that cause us in particular to kind of go over the edge with things that we're hearing, things that we're seeing, things that we're experiencing. But the other article, which was very surprising, said, wait a minute, if anybody can be resilient, it's people of color. If any ethnicity, if any group has gone through periods and seasons of, of distress, 
uh, 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 destruction, devastation is people from the African-American background. So, so in other words, in, in my little cleft notes, what the article suggested, I think this was the Brookings Institute, they went on to say, listen, uh, we're going to be all right. We, we know what it's like to be the last hired, first fired. All right, or the first fired, last hired. We know what it's like to be in an industry with a revolving door of employment. We, we, we've been through eras where our people have suffered. We've been devastated. We've gone through trouble, tri trials and troubles and tribulations. And somehow or another, we always bounce back and we always find a place to be resilient. And so I think that was a glimmer of hope that we will be okay with this. But we also gave the warning last week, let's not underestimate the need all right, of ministering to our mental health, making sure we keep our mind on the things of God. We stay sharp in our thinking. We have a Bible, biblical, godly perspective of where we're at and where we're headed. Uh, I think we closed last Sunday by reminding you all, stay on your knees, stay in the word, and keep pressing on. Stay, in, stay on your knees in prayer. Bible reminds us in Philippians 4 to be careful for nothing to be worried about nothing, to, um, to, uh, uh, but in everything through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, everything through prayer. Say that with me. Everything through prayer. Come on, say that with me. Come on, mask it all. Everything in prayer, right? Uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So we have to stay on our knees in seasons such as this. Number two, we have to continue, all right, to stay in the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God, or the Bible, or the Word, is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. When you are in the Word of God, stay with me, when you are in the Word of God, it shows you where you're currently at right now. If you're not quite sure where you're at, there is an indication that you may not be faithfully in the Word of God. But here's the good news. Not only is it a lamp for where I'm standing, it now becomes a light, a, 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 a flashlight from where I'm headed. So you want to kind of know what's on the other side of this mountain, what's on the other side of this pain, what's on the other side of this trouble, stay in the Word of God. And then third and finally, think on these things. Think on these things. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, right? As a woman thinks in her heart, so is she. So uh, if it is to me, it is up to me. You have to tell yourself on a regular, daily basis, Think, Paul says, on these things. Well, what things was he talking about, I wonder? Well, Philippians chapter 4, things that are noteworthy, things that are lovely, things that are a good report, things that are of joy or of cheer. If there's any virtue, if there's any value, Paul says, think on these things. Why? Because there's something special to those who keep their minds on Jesus, who keep their minds on the Word of God. Isaiah 26 Three, I believe, Isaiah 26, 2. I will keep thee in perfect peace whose mind, come on, say mind, whose mind stays on thee. Hit your knees, stay in the word, and think on things that are of God's virtue. You want to make it through COVID-19? You want to make it through the pandemic times? You want to keep a fresh perspective through all of what we're seeing in the media in our day and time? You're going to have to eventually, like me, cut the TV off. Because it gets to a point where it's too heavy. It's too much. You listen to this channel, it's Armageddon every day. You listen to this channel, everybody's in good shape, no problems at all. You got to get to a place where we're looking at the Word of God. And we're hearing from heaven, amen? All right, let's go to the Beatitudes this morning. I want to take the next few moments. Let me review from last Sunday, and then we'll talk maybe 
two. I don't know if I can get to the third or the third one today, but we'll at least get to uh, two additional ones on this morning. Here's what's important to know. I think you'd be untrue today if you said you didn't have some fear in your life. I know we're blessed and highly favored, head not to tail, above only not beneath. But these are the days that try men's soul. And I don't know if you'd be honest to yourself or with yourself if you didn't say there was some intrepidation. There is some fear, okay? And I think the first part of healing is to be true to yourself. Uncertainty, right? Instabilities. Not quite sure what's around the corner tomorrow. But for every fear, there's hope in the word of God. I want you to know today for every stress, every anxiety, every pressure, every pain, every worry, every concern, there's answers that will be unlocked through prayer. Let me give you one third one. Uh, for every uncertainty, every unknown, God has a plan and God has a purpose, and that comes from heaven. We talk about the word beatitude. Beatitude, very interesting word, very popular word, but it is a word that we really don't know a lot of, whether it's Latin, Greek, Hebrew. The word beatitude really means sayings of blessings or blessed sayings, beatitude, blessed saying. Now, you know me, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, kind of rough on the edges from time to time, so I made up my own definition of beatitude. My definition of beatitude is how your attitude should be during times of trouble, how your attitude should be during stress anxiety and things that you're dealing with. So uh, please forgive me for sounding very uneducated and unintellectual right here, but the Beatitudes was really more about the attitude and the inner qualities of a man or, or a woman, particularly under stress. And I'm gonna show you in one moment that everything we're dealing with right now ain't the first time for the church. Wasn't the first time for the children of Israel. And so Beatitudes, it means blessed sayings or how your attitude should be. I'm good. How your attitude should be. How should my attitude be right now when I'm not sure if I'm going to have a job this time next month? How should our attitude be right now and we don't know where the mortgage is going to come from for the month of September? All right? What should our attitude be right now when it seems like someone on my left has died from COVID-19, someone on my right has died from COVID-19. How do I know I'm not next? What should our attitude be in your business, with your children, right? 2,000 years ago, Israel was a part of a culture where there was Roman oppression, Roman rule, and there was discriminations, there was uh, prejudices, there was oppression, they were overtaxed and underrepresented. And they about had it with the Roman government. And Jesus comes on the scene and he talks to them about how their attitudes should be. If that wasn't enough, there was civil unrest and unease. Things were hostile. Things were not getting out of control. Things were out of control, right? And this silent mob, or I shouldn't use the word mob, excuse me, this silent movement of people were at odds. If that wasn't enough, folk were sick. You really can't look into Matthew chapter 5 without going back to Matthew chapter 4. Remember now, and seeing the multitude, and seeing the multitudes, 
Why were there multitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1? Tell you why. Let's go back and look at Matthew chapter 4. We'll look at the end of 4 so we can truly pick up chapter 5. The Bible says 4.23, And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. And then his fame went through all of Syria, went through all of Syria, and they brought him all of the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. So it wasn't just a physical disease, but it was also mental diseases. It wasn't just mental diseases, but it was also emotional diseases. Let's keep reading. And the Bible says, and those who were demon-possessed. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And seeing the multitudes, he goes up to a mountain, and when he was seated, the disciples came to him. Then he taught them how their attitude should be. Give me five minutes. I want to review the last three from last week. We'll pick up two new ones, and we'll call it a day. Right? Last week, we looked at the Beatitudes. We know that it was, quote-unquote, Sermon on the Mount. The message was not about spiritual gifts, wasn't about the anointing, wasn't about power, but it was about attitude and equalities and character. We know that this is one of the first sermons, if not the first sermon, Jesus ever preached. We know that it, it, it was a time of sitting down, right? Kind of messes with our theology here, kind of messes with our tradition of what we think a great sermon should sound like or look like. He sat down. He had a natural amphitheater, no sound system needed, no sound people needed, because on the side of that mountain there in the, uh, on, the, on the east side of Capernaum would have been a natural mountain slope where he could have sat and talked to multitudes. What else do we know? Well, we find out today that he gives the first three Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. We said last week that Jesus taught the people opposite of what was happening in that day and time. He says, friends, church, you'll really be blessed. You're going to be rewarded. You're going to be compensated if you understand what it means to be poor in spirit. Wasn't necessarily poor in money. Maybe not poor in property, but what did it mean to be poor in spirit? In other words, you are willing to be content with godliness, which is of great gain. He's not really looking at your wallet. He's not looking at your, your pocketbook or your bank account. What he's looking at is, are you willing to forsake all to follow Christ? Blessed to be rewarded, to be compensated, is when you're willing to walk away from anything worldly to gain Christ the more. I know you have your mask on, but it's really quiet right about now. He challenges the church to go diametrically opposite of pride, position, and power. And I'm kind of, I'm starting to wonder, is that not God's message to our world today? Everything we thought was powerful, prideful, and full of position seems as if he's removing. Right? He said humility recognizing your need for God is the purest quality of being poor in spirit. Number two, he says, blessed are they that mourn. How am I going to be blessed if I'm mourning? What virtue or what value is it to be blessed 
to be rewarded or compensated if I'm mourning? Well, he said, you yourself shall be comforted. He wanted to make sure that we got delivered from a spirit of meism. You know what the spirit of meism is? It's all about me. Whatever it takes to make me happy. He said, this is not the time to make me happy. This is the time to empathize with others, to mourn with others, mourn for the sins of the world, mourn for the pain and the hurts of others. Uh, COVID-19 may not have affected your immediate family, but it's affected somebody's immediate family. You may not have lost a child due to police brutality, but somebody has lost a child due to police brutality, all right? You may not have to be forced to foreclose on a home, but, but somebody has. Blessed are those who mourn, for they themselves shall be comforted. Those who sympathize with the affliction of others, mourning with those that weep. Number three, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, realize Jesus goes opposite of what the country was experiencing and the culture of that time. That time, it was about prestige, power, and position. He says, but it will not be with you. In fact, you are blessed when you are meek. M-E-E-K. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness simply means to be humble, to be kind, to be considerate, and to be submitted. I know you want to be part of the Antifa, and you want to rise up and fight, and you have a voice, and you have a right, and by any means necessary, you're going to make your mark. Jesus said, that's not the answer right now. That's not the answer. In fact, when you are meek, I will ensure that you inherit the earth. I will make sure that whatever you lose in this season, you will be restored double-fold. Whatever job, whatever family, whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever you count for the loss for Christ will be gained. You shall inherit the earth. The word meekness means those who can bear provocation without being inflamed by it. I, I, you know, I've been, I've been going on this rant on Thursday nights, and I, it's a wonder you all are still part of the church after all my rants on Thursday nights during Bible study, because I, I, I think I've touched some issues that most preachers won't touch, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to start it today, but, but, but how do we endure things that we feel and see without becoming bitter? The word meekness means to not allow the provocation to inflame you to being upset. How do you watch the news and not get mad? How do you not hear from your white neighbor and not want to go off? How do you hear some, some foolishness from some of our black neighbors <laughs> and not want to retaliate? I mean, this is a very polarizing season. And what makes it worse is everybody has a platform. Everybody has a pulpit. And how do you not engage or at least be tempted to fight fire with fire? Jesus said, when you understand the value of being meek, I'll make sure I right the wrong. I'll make sure you get everything that you've lost in this season. You cannot let this pandemic make you bitter. I love sports more than most of y'all combined in this room. But I cannot let it become bitter or make me bitter. I love traveling, just like you like traveling, right? 
I like going to nice restaurants. Just like you like going to nice restaurants. But you cannot allow these temporary setbacks to create a hardness. I, I'm, I'm trying to go somewhere with this message. I don't, I don't know if I can kick it into the next gear. I'm going uphill right now, and I don't, I'm trying to kick this thing in another gear. You better make sure you don't start doubting God. God, where are you with all of this? He is where he has always been. He's still king and he's still Lord. He's still Jehovah. He's still Adonai. He's still Rohi. Yes, he is. Talk to me now. I know you have some dreams and some goals, and I know there's been some setbacks, and you've lost some money. You've probably lost some momentum. But you better make sure... You don't start belly aching and getting mad with God. Because last I checked, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hello? So when you understand being meek, you understand that the spirit of bitterness does not set in. You have to find a way to stay encouraged. I still don't feel like I'm, I'm really getting where I want to go. I'm, I'm trying to... I'm trying to go to this next conversation piece because the truth of the matter is things are not getting better right now. They're getting worse. I'm just, I'm not walking without faith and oh, he don't trust the Lord. No, I, I do believe God and I trust the Lord. But the reality and the truth is we're not in a good season with the trends and trajectory of what we're, so what are you going to do throwing the towel? What are you going to do? Just give up on God? You're going to stop praying, stop reading the Bible, I'll forget going to church. I'm not going to pay my tithe no more. I mean, so what are you going to do? Because we, we, we said we were built for this. We've been shouting and dancing and praising the Lord and speaking in tongues and reading our Bibles and praying and getting fortified and getting built up on our most holy faith. Oh, I'm so ready. Well, now that you're in the heat of the battle, what are you going to do? You're going to stay the course, that's what you're going to do. You're going to keep praying. That's what you're going to do. You're going to keep believing God. That's what you're going to do. You're going to keep walking by faith. Let's, let, let's, let's talk two. Let's, let's, let's go two this morning. I, I don't think I'm going to have time to do all three, but I do want to give you number four and number five. So let's go to the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want to pause for right here for a moment. I want to pause right here for a moment. Okay, Jesus tells this crowd of people who are hot and bothered. He tells this crowd who are really at wit's end, you're telling me to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I, I'm hungry for food right now. And you're telling me to hunger after righteousness? It's hot. I'm tired. I could use a cold one right now. Not, not your type of cold one, Elder. Uh, we're talking about, you know, lemonade, iced tea. Not, not your type of coldness, all right? Not, not them cold ones, okay? Yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, but you're telling me to thirst after him, he wanted Israel to know that if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, I won't let you down. I will fill you. I, I want to talk about righteousness. We don't, we don't, I, don't, I don't preach a lot about righteousness um, or teach, I should say. It's one of those things you just assume you know, so you don't have to talk about it. But let me just take a moment, just for a moment, and I want to make sure we understand what righteousness means. I often use sort of the layman's term of right standing with God. If you want to know what righteousness means, the layman's 
definition is right standing with God. When a man is righteous, he's in right standing with God. When a woman is righteous or she's filled with righteousness, she's in right standing with God. Very simple. But let's go a little deeper, all right, and let's go a little further. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. The Bible says, as a deer panted for the water brooks, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist said, I'm thirsty for you. I mean, I mean, that's what we experience. I'm going to have to walk for a little bit here. That's what we experienced this morning in worship. There was, such a, there was such a pouring out of God's presence. You were lapping and didn't even realize it. Many of you were, were sort of like the, 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 the men whom the Bible says in the days of Gideon. Are you willing to get down at all four and literally lick and lap from the water? We'll really find out how hungry and thirsty you are. That's the type of atmosphere we had this morning. People were thirsting and God was filling. People were, were hungry and God was filling today. That's what, that's what I equate our worship this morning experience to. I'm thirsty for you. I've taken for granted all of the Sundays I've missed. All of the worship services I was late to. I've taken for granted the fellowship of people, brothers and sisters around me. We were made for fellowship. We were made to touch one another, to commune with one another, to hug and embrace one another. And now we can do these things. We're thirsty. We're hungry. Psalmist goes on to say, uh, for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. Jesus in the New Testament says, listen, I, not only am I the bread of life, but I'm also the well that will never run dry. John chapter 6, verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. All right, bring it, let's bring it back to COVID-19, okay? See, we didn't realize he meant business when he said, man, should I live by bread alone? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, right? Now we're in a mindset where every, every dollar counts. Every day counts. The true bread is not the bread we spend, but the bread that we eat. And the bread that we eat for the natural is only because of the bread that we have that is spiritual. Jesus said, I am the bread. I am your most basic necessity you'll ever have, right? He who eats after me will never hunger again. In fact, he goes on to say, he who comes to me should never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I, I, I want to take a moment real quick. Let me just take the word righteousness and let's break it down a little bit more and then we'll find one more beatitude to give today, right? The word righteous means to be in the right or to be in right standing with God, to be blameless, to be upright, to be innocent, to be just, okay? We made a lot of fun with those words throughout the years. Oh, she's a righteous woman. Oh, he, he's a righteous man. And we laugh and kind of make fun at them, call them holy rollers and feel like, you know, they were more special and spiritual and all that. But the, what it simply meant was they're blameless, they're innocent, they're just, they're right before the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 22, flee useful lust, pursue righteousness. Uh, let me pause for a moment. Now, the Word of God says to pursue righteousness. Are we pursuing righteousness? Uh, in fact, before March of 2020, were we pursuing righteousness? I mean, how important was it to you to be in right standing with God? Okay? Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this before I close. The word righteousness kind of reminds me of the word holiness. Reminds me of the word sanctity. These are words that can be very intimidating to the modern-day Christian. Because we just think perfection and without sin and holiness and righteousness. But Jesus had a different understanding of righteousness. Why? 
because God in the Old Testament had a different understanding of righteousness. I want to talk real quick about man's righteousness, self-righteousness, and God's righteousness. There's a difference. I'm going to help you out real quick, and I hope today you're getting freed uh, with some of this right now. When God says you're righteous, he calls you righteous no matter where you're at in that stage of your life. I struggled with this earlier this week when I was reading because he calls Noah a righteous man. But if you know anything about Noah, Noah had a problem tipping it up from time to time. What do you mean? Noah would go get him a 40 ounce every once in a while. You look at me like I'm making this stuff up. Noah had no problem getting drunk. In fact, he got so drunk, he got to lay in bed butt naked in the middle of nowhere. You know the story, don't you? He has how many sons? Three sons. Him, Sham, and Japhat. Japhat and Shem go to cover him, but Ham, I won't get into the theology here, he decides to expose his nakedness. When Noah comes off his high, he looks around and says, Ham, oh gosh, I wish I could talk ethnically right now, but I better not do that today, right? Uh, uh, why did you expose my behind when you should have covered my behind? Mm. You'll have to read the Bible for yourself to find out what happens next. To be continued, right? He called Abraham righteous. In fact, in Genesis 15, before Abraham fully believed, God said, you're righteous. Bible says, and Abraham believed, and God accounted for him righteousness. God, oh, you, okay, write this down. Just write this down since you don't believe me. Write down Isaiah 42 and 6. Just write it down, okay? I, I know you don't have your outlines. Maybe we'll start doing outlines again soon. I, I think maybe now's the time to start giving out outlines here. We'll give our outlines online. You can fill in the blank. Because I really want you to stay in touch with the Word of God. Because this is going to pass in the next five or ten minutes. But you've got to go home with this Word in your heart. You have to go home knowing the Word of God. Isaiah 42, 6. I, the Lord, have called you righteousness. And I will hold your hand. And I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people a light to the Gentiles. God called Israel righteous before they were ever righteous. He calls me righteous. He calls you righteous. Well, you don't know what I was doing last night. Well, you don't know what he was doing last night. You don't know where I was this time last year. Well, you don't know what he did for you this time last year. He sees further than you can see. He knows more than you can know. He has more power than you can ever have in a lifetime and a half. So he calls you righteous. I wonder where that came from. The Bible says that we are to call those things that are not as though they were. He decrees and declares a thing until it is established. He was calling you righteous when you were still in sin. He labeled you righteous when you were still in darkness, not quite, quite sure what direction you wanted to go in in the things of the kingdom. So righteousness, here's another definition, means to be acquitted, means to be justified, means to be declared right. I, I'm almost finished. Stay with me, though. Stay with me. I want to free you right now. Because some of you are bound by the condemnation of the devil. And I'm not scared to say it. The devil is Diablo. He is a thief. He wants to steal your credibility, steal your history, steal anything that has anything to do with God. And that's why the Bible says, now, therefore, now, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If the Lord calls you righteous, who are you to call yourself anything else? If God sees you as righteous, who are you to allow somebody else to label you as anything short of that? You're not wretched. You're not a heathen. You're not a, a guilty this or that. You are acquitted. 
You have been justified. You have been made right, not by your own recognizance, but because he calls you righteous. I wanted somebody to say amen on that one. Uh, would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9? Deuteronomy chapter 9. Right, so they don't have it in the LCD notes, but they're very smart and they're very proficient. They'll, they'll probably get to it before I get to it. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Let me show you something. The Lord spoke to my heart with this scripture and wants me to remind every one of you all, Deuteronomy 9, verse 5. Deuteronomy 9, verse 5. Listen closely, listen closely. Are you listening? Are you listening? Watch this. It is not because of your righteousness nor the uprightness of your heart that you go and to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord your God drives them out uh, before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One more verse, verse 6. Therefore understand that the Lord your God has not given you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Yes, he calls you righteous, but he also calls you stubborn. Yes, he calls you righteous, blessed, highly favored, but he also calls you rebellious. He said, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. I'm going to bless you, not because of your own, own works, not because of your own efforts. I'm going to bless you, number one, because you had some evil enemies that hated you. I wish somebody would talk to me right now. I need some really discerning people to read through the lines and hear why the Lord is blessing the church. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless these people. Not so much because they were righteous people, but because the enemy wouldn't stop messing with them. It wasn't because, read the Bible. I mean, you, 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 you act like I'm not reading the Bible. God said, I'm not going to bless you because of your works of righteousness. I'm going to bless you because you have some wicked enemies that wouldn't leave you alone. He said, by the way, it wasn't your works that have gained you status. Truth is, you stiff-necked. You can't be told nothing. You're unteachable, unleadable, uh, and, and, and so on and so on. But he yet calls you righteous. That messes with my mind. I, 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 I'm not where I needed to be, but he still blessed me. I hadn't really crossed all the teeth and dotted all the I's, but he yet opens a door for me. If there's anybody in this room right now who is struggling with the sins of the past, with the, 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 the mistakes of the past, may you be liberated and free today to know God is no longer interested about what happened yesterday or yesteryear or 30 years ago. He puts a stamp of approval on your life. He puts a stamp of righteousness on your life. And he said, now go on with your happy self. I, 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 I really need to close, and my time is up. But if you give me two more minutes, I'll try to make the most of them. Be careful that you have God's righteousness and not man's righteousness. Uh, let me talk to you about man's righteousness. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. Well, I thought they was already saved. Well, keep on reading. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not the knowledge of God. For they are ignorant to God's righteousness. Stop. Pause. Let's take a moment here. Could it be that just because we got a whole lot of movement, a whole lot of singing, a whole lot of action, a whole lot of departments, that doesn't equate 
for you being in God's perfect plan. You may have man's righteousness, but Israel didn't have God's righteousness. And seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Let's keep reading. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, talk to me. You're trying to uh, uh, write all your wrongs by yourself. I used to hear people say all the time, I'll get saved, but I got to clean some stuff up first. Well, if you clean it up, it leaves him no work to do. In fact, if you ain't cleaned it up in the last 30 years, I doubt you're going to clean up in these next 30 years. You come to him as you are, right? Broken, wounded, weary, sinful, and all. He shed the blood on Calvary's cross that you will become righteous. He who was all righteous took on sin to him who was in sin now can become the righteousness in Christ Jesus. And you have to walk by faith, not by sight. Huh? Man's righteousness. What about self-righteousness? Isaiah 64 and 6. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness is a filthy rag. When you think you can bring to the table your own standard, your own bar of excellence, when you think, well, Lord, look how much time I prayed today. Ain't I somebody? Well, Lord, you see how much I read the Bible? Ain't I special? Well, you know I didn't cuss somebody out. You know I tried to do this and that. Well, that is man's righteousness, not God's righteousness. What is God's righteousness? I'm so glad you asked. God's righteousness, Isaiah 126, I will restore your judges at the first and your counselors at the beginning. Afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city, the faithful city. God says, I'm going to call you the city. I'm not playing on words here, but I thank God for a city church that the church of righteousness. I thank God for a faithful church. I thank God for men and women who decided not to throw in the towel, but to lock horns with the things of God and keep pressing and keep praying and keep believing God. Beware of man's righteousness. Beware of, 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 of self-righteousness. For the only righteousness that will stand is the righteousness of Christ. And when you come into Jesus, you come into a right standing with God. He's not interested in your past. He's not interested in your failures. He's not interested in any of your fears. All he wants to know is, can I come in? If I come in the inside, and if I live with you, if I dine with you, if I sup with you, we can come to the table that has been spread. We can come to a place of agreement. We can come to a place where Jesus is Lord. And when he becomes Lord, the people of God are righteous. Let's stand to our feet. I have so much more. I didn't get to number five, number six. I have so much more I want to preach today. We'll pick it up next Sunday morning. Maybe you just needed to realize today that it is not the righteousness of your own strength. It is not the righteousness of your own efforts, but it is the righteousness that comes by faith. You need to tell the devil, devil, you are a lying wonder. You need to call him out for who he is from time to time. The Bible says that Michael did not raise a railing accusation against the devil, but he just simply said, the Lord rebuke you. I wonder if the saints even pray like that anymore. When was the last time you just rebuked the devil? Satan, the Lord rebuke you. We render you null and void, absolutely powerless. You have no place here. You have no authority here. We plead the blood. They told me years ago, oh, that's old-fashioned. Don't nobody do that stuff no more. I do. I plead the blood. Because there's nothing greater than the blood. 
when it is pleaded against sin, sickness, Satan's plans. And so my attitude in times of difficulty should be the hunger and thirst in this season. God may be a promise, he'll fill me. My attitude should be righteousness. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, for I shall be filled. I want it so hard to get to verse uh, 6, 7, and 8, 9, and 10, and all the rest, but blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Hang in there. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. May I remind every one of you, oftentimes God is working his best behind the scenes. 